Hi, and welcome to Native Calgarian. My name is Michelle Robinson. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman. I was born Michelle Elliott, another English-sounding name, which has afforded me privilege in a colonial world. My mother is uh, Northern Slavey or Satu Denny. My Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Denny. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of Mayflower and the daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I was born in Calgary. You know, I acknowledge my lineage and uh, where I was born because even though I'm native and even though I was born here, my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Indigenous nation still roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my nation is a visitor to the area of Quincho Tinne Indahe, or Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede in my former Dene. My cousins are in Sutina. A uh, native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Blackfeet south of the U.S.-Canadian border, and north of the border, the Siksika, Gunai, and Bigani of the Confederacy. The lands are also on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki Bears Paw Nations, and Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all Indigenous, Métis, Inuit, and other nations from across Turtle Island as the keepers of this land, so that many come to live, work, and volunteer in the area that I live. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that it can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down the red road. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, I encourage you to check out our Patreon account and pledge in support. Um, Kenna and Matt signed up immediately when I announced that I was doing this, and I want to thank now Sharon, Diana, and Judy for also signing up this week. Uh, if you have any questions, nativeyyc at gmail.com, and I will try to answer them. So, a lot has happened since I did my intro from last time. And I really, this is really exciting for me because this is why I started the podcast. I really just want to talk about things that are exciting to me. Um, and I hope are exciting to you too. So one of the big things that have been on my brain is the AFN. So the Assembly of First Nations had a convention and they had to vote for their leader. And while this was happening, actually Russ Debo came to Calgary and came to, uh, the Stony Nation, thankfully hosted by uh, Rachel, out at uh, out at the Stony, and she hosted us for a for a dinner. But I got to meet Russ and Russ's wife, and boy, what a dynamic couple! I tell you, to finally meet them in person and really be talking about the colonial construct from the point of view that I understand it to be. Um, obviously, Russ is one of the people that have taught me through the course of uh, going down the red road really what sovereignty is and our rights and our and and such. So anyway, um a lot of excitement happened uh leading up to the AFN and at the AFN. And uh if you listen to my first podcast, you know that I'm part of the Indigenous Peoples Commission. And uh yeah, it was really actually hard. I, I even had a cry, I think it was on Thursday, because um what what had happened was Carolyn Bennett was accused of uh, interference at one point in time. And, you know, the Alberta chiefs had to release a statement about, you know, why they asked her to be at a certain place at a certain time or, 
you know, just the collaboration that normally happens with the AFN. Uh, it was it was really hard to listen to because, you know, um, I'm the first to admit that the Liberals have shortcomings when it comes to racism and Indigenous understanding. Um, even some people that think they're my strongest allies really don't have an understanding to the depth of colonialism, which makes it really hard because, you know, we have good people trying, but, you know, when they don't really understand and it hurts my soul at times, it hurts my heart. And, uh, but on the flip side, I know, you know, people kind of have to do this colonial structure the way it's set up and there's rules and regulations towards it. You know, I don't agree with them. Obviously, that's why I work really hard to either modify certain policies or procedures, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, it was really hard to, to kind of watch that happen. And I was, uh, you know, sad to, see everybody being um, accusatory because I know at the end of the day that only hurts us as a people and the Canadians they don't always understand uh, what would what it is we're we're upset about and um, I w- I'd like to talk a little more about uh, you know what the effects of colonial violence a lot of people talk about lateral violence but it, it really is just internalized racism that comes from the colonial structure and uh, when we internalize that, you know, I had to really address that within myself, how many times I heard negative things in the course of my life being said about Indigenous people, when I know that's me too. And, um, you know, when it comes to nation to nation building, when it comes to Indigenous nations talking to Indigenous nations, it, it really muddles everything up when you're forced to try to work within a construct that's not yours. Um, you know, before we had uh, treaties that went from Indigenous nation to Indigenous nation, and uh, we could still do that. I'm not, uh, I w- I'd like to encourage people um, to really look at their nations and see what kind of traditional governance structure that was before colonialism that maybe we could uh, start implementing now as well. And uh, just within ourselves, because ultimately, you know, we all have our own code, codes of conduct. And uh, the more we learn and the more we teach our members, the better. Anyway, um, at the end of the day, I guess Perry uh, Belgard through the second vote was elected. So congratulations to Perry. But I, I just wanted to let everyone know how inspired I was by all the candidates. Each candidate, um, it was really clear how much they... Um, had Indigenous interests at in, in mind and, and at heart. And it's so hard sometimes to just pick one winner. Um, I think if we were really honest about the AFN and Indigenous uh, uh, governance that's more traditional, we would have so many more leaders than just one. And I'm sure Perry would be the first to admit that is the case. At any rate, um, uh CBC Indigenous had immediately uh, an interview after with with Perry and um, they asked for questions and immediately I asked, hey, Perry, what does uh, sovereignty mean to you? And he gave an answer about self-determination. And, um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure if um, it resonated with everybody, but I know I was really grateful that they even took my question and that he tried to answer it. And uh, yeah, I. I hope that uh, as the youth become more empowered and understand our roles, that um, sovereignty will will eventually change its definition just the way 
If you were to ask what reconciliation meant in 2015 to today, from two years from now, I'm sure that definition would look a little different and uh, evolve as well. So I'm, I'm hopeful that in five years and 10 years, the conversation about sovereignty will be something that all of the youth and, and everyone will have a really firm grasp of. So that was really interesting. Um, another thing that has been huge on my mind is um, last uh, the very first intro I, I talked about trying to support as an ally. And I say trying because as an ally, I don't have lived experience of what it's like to um, identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, or two-spirit. And, um, you know, I, I, I recognize that, but I, I do know what it's like to look at those issues with an Indigenous lens because, you know, even within my own family, we have, uh, you know, cousins that identify as transgender and um, the Catholic belief system really really challenging our family on that in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, it, it's a very personal issue to me to have exclusion because I know what that's been like my entire life being Indigenous. But then as I got older and I learned more about our homeless population, how that there's so much intergenerational trauma, whether from the Indian residential school system, whether from the foster care system, or whether it's from uh, being identifying as two-spirit, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, and then being a person of color on top of that. So, you know, I, I just, you know, it, it's an issue that matters to me. Um, I know a lot of uh, hate speech and, and crime could be prevented with that education. So it, it means um, talking about it more and more. And if I can use this platform in any way to help address it, I, I encourage people to ask those questions so that we can kind of dissect it a bit. Um, I was challenged on one of my pages about the term two-spirit. And a lot of people are really offended that we say, you know, two-spirit is for Indigenous only. They really want ownership of that term too. And because, uh, you know, taking the lands wasn't enough and making us say English terms is not enough. Now they want the term two-spirit. So that was, uh, you know, very challenging for me um, to talk about. In our, in our previous episode, I talked about how Thursday night we would have an outreach through Voices to talk to community. And boy, what a huge, huge successful event that was. We were so lucky to get donations of food. Um, we, we have a wonderful team that put together a, a night at Community Wise through AROC. And AROC is an anti-racist group that's uh, here in Calgary. They have lots of resources online if you're looking for any anti-racism resources. So anyway, um, had the community outreach. Big thank you to Jason from Pride. Um, he did a PowerPoint presentation at some of the previous outreaches that they had put together with uh, police commissioners and, and police-affiliated support groups. And, um, you know, we were lucky as voices to be at least able to sit at the panel for, for those outreaches as well. But we never had outreach for um, people who identify as uh, queer people of color. And the reason was because we knew the other ones had police. And for a lot of queer folk in the city, um, hanging out with police is not something that um, people feel comfortable doing quite yet. And 
we had our outreach. We live streamed it on our Facebook page. We then tweeted it out. And uh, when it came to the questions was when we stopped so that people would feel freer to be able to ask those questions. So it was really a, a really great. And, uh, you know, as a board, we had a good conversation before and after. And um, today is a really historic day. Today is July 27, 2018. And today, the Calgary police apologized to the LGBTQ community. Um, they recognized that they have a lot of work to do when it comes to the marginalized voices. And uh, which was gr- good from my point of view, because as a member of Voices, you know, I, I just, while well, we asked for them to acknowledge these issues and we asked for them to um, issue this apology, you know, we still have a lot of work to do when it comes to the end result. And that end result is allowing all people who identify as people of color, as I d- is Indigenous, as queer people of color or non-binary to feel safe walking the streets and to feel like that is a place that we can turn to when we need to. And while, you know, a lot of, maybe even the majority of people feel that they can turn to the police, not everybody does. So that's a lot of work that, you know, is continuing and ongoing. And the police acknowledged that, which was fabulous. We were, um, we released our own statement, which you can see on our website or on our uh, Facebook page and on our Twitter. I haven't checked the website yet to know if it's up, but we were um, excited to acknowledge the that today happened. And I'm sure for a lot of queer folk, uh, very healing, very healing day um, to know that the bath raids were acknowledged and the opposition to uh, decriminalizing uh, gay sex in general, all of those things, they, they really apologized for many of those areas. And I know it meant a lot to me as a, as a person who knows how awful, uh, homophobia and transphobia and sexism was growing up and to see such a huge change. I mean, this is really positive. Also, as a liberal, I took a little extra pride when they mentioned Justin Trudeau as the prime minister and his leadership on this. And I think that that's an example of you need to show leadership in order for people to start changing their attitudes towards these things. Um, You know, I think over the course of time, there's been positive change, but we need so much more work to do. And until people understand what the words intersectionality and colonial really mean, we just have to keep working, which is why I have the podcast and a place to maybe vent <laughs> about these things. So um, another thing I'd like to talk about is uh, just a fun project. I ran for Ward 10. And when I ran, there was a wonderful candidate. Her name was Salima Kazem. She also decided she was going to run for Ward 10 because she had grown up in the area and she really felt uh, that was, uh, you know, the place that she would have peace with. Or at least that's my interpretation. I don't want to speak on on behalf of my friend Salima, but I will say that she had reached out to a friend even before we ran about making a documentary about what it's like to be, you know, running as women in the Northeast and in Ward 10. And, uh, you know, she's brown and I'm uh, in I'm First Nation. So for us to be running in the same area, it was also a big deal. Here's two women of color that are are choosing to run. And, um, 
yeah. Anyway, this documentary is going out for crowdfunding. When I have the link, I'll put it up there. But if you look for Run Like a Girl documentary, you'll see that we have a Facebook and uh, uh, Twitter already set up. So I will put together those links for you and uh, so that you can click on them and make it accessible. Uh, another big thing that's happening here is today Jordan Peterson is here. Now, apparently, um, one of the, one of the companies brought him in to speak and I'm already seeing pictures of like Daniel Smith and, and some top conservatives going, I uh, didn't see a whole lot of diversity or people of color in that crowd, but I sure seen a lot of people that were excited, um, for him to come. I guess it was a sold out show. Now, I um, found myself in a bit of controversy by penning um, in collaboration with other groups, adding my name about, you know, objecting to the idea of him coming here. And uh, it's, a, it's a funny thing because I'm all for freedom of speech, but my interpretation of freedom of speech is apparently very different than others. Freedom of speech allows me to speak up and speak out against government and policies that uh, the government are imposing or have in their already existing structure. Um, and, you know, when it comes to deciding, <laughs> I guess, who's trans, you know, who can be trans and who can be they and them and uh, what social justice warrior is and, and, you know, whatever name calling that is also associated with freedom of freedom of speech. I, I think that comes with some extreme responsibility. So we're going to get a little more into that now, um, putting that person aside. You know, one of the things I was lucky enough to do this week was go to the Calgary Communities Against Sexual Abuse uh, seminars. There was a three-hour seminar, and they talked about sexual assault and uh, responding to disclosures. And um, just to to talk more about that in general, you know, I think we all know the importance of first aid and truly this is also like a, a one of those first aid goes to where that I think everyone should have this education. I wish it was in our public schooling education, but since it's not, I really encourage uh, parents and just all people to know some of these techniques so that that way you have an idea how to help people when you're in that moment of vulnerability so just to quickly uh, go over it, um, and in the hopes that you will follow uh, Calgary Communities Against Sexual Abuse, you know, they talked about, uh, you know, increasing that awareness of what sexual violence is in general. Um, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite two-minute videos is Consent and Tea. And the original one was done out of uh, Thames. So it, it has a strong, strong British accent and it's worth watching for that reason alone. Um, anyway, the one they showed us was American. And you got to be careful with the American one because they have ones that have uh, swearing. This one had no swearing, thank goodness. So we watched that and then really did a long conversation of what consent means because I think even growing up for me, we did not talk about what consent is at all. Um, then we went over some of the criminal code of Canada, uh, you know, section 271 to 273 about the, uh, levels of what sexual abuse is according to the, to the law. And then we talked a bit about the consent, age of consent, because, um, even for me, I knew that, uh, Stephen Harper had changed the law and, uh, 
you know, so it was just good to, to have it uh, in front of me about what that means. And, um, then we went over a, a video and the video was called the undetected rapist. And I believe that if you, you, you can purchase it and go over it if you want to, if you have an organization that, uh, it would be a good idea. It was originally created to train judges and it really, uh, it has a man who you would probably, you know, describe as a college jock and basically talking about date rape and not really him caring about it being rape, just what it is that, um, that looks like to him. And he uses terms like, you know, prey and target and, you know, getting him drunk and, um, targeting naive ones and, um, having designated rooms. It's, it's really gross actually. Um, but see what's even grosser is when they have people who have watched him kind of sit down in groups. They had a female group and a male group and they sat down and they talked about it. And there were some people that were just, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde when they were around only men, the things that they would say, but when they were then later in a group of men and women, you know, before it was victim blaming, then it was different when women were present. So it was, uh, yeah, it was really interesting to watch even the group dynamic. And we talked a bit about that. Um, I've seen it before, the anti-violence pyramid. And I, I think that this is the critical um, component I really wanted to talk about, especially when talking about Jordan Peterson and this concept of freedom of speech and that, you know, we know, um, you know there is a uh, a certain set of markers that happened before homicides and suicides and uh, sexual assaults. And right at the base of all of that are those attitudes and societal beliefs that, you know, racism, sexism, ableism, um, all of the jokes against marginalized groups of people are totally funny. And depending on who laughs with you depends on how much further up the latter you go of saying, you know, verbal things that are, are awful and derogatory and gross to people. And then all the way up to sexual assault and further. So, you know, I, I just think it's really important that we understand if we, if we truly care about preventing violence, that there is a component of education and discriminating against someone's identity is key to preventing violent crime. So I have no problem with freedom of speech against the government, but when you have freedom of speech in general, there is a lot of responsibility to it, and especially if you think making jokes at somebody else's identity is funny. Um, so that's kind of my main point that I wanted to get out there, and I hope that people will listen to that. And if you have more questions about that, don't hesitate to send me an email, nativeyyc at gmail.com. So yeah, um, some of the bigger takeaways about supporting dis disclosure is that, um, you know, to be really honest and vulnerable as well, um, using really neutral language, self-identify, use I languages, be aware of your own biases, avoid prying, leading, judgmental questions, observe body language. So if you are asking a question that you think isn't leading, but you can tell that's really shut down that person, then that's a good moment to really self-reflect, apologize, be maybe transparent. Um, if you cry listening to somebody else 
talk about it. Be very clear. I'm so angry that someone chose to hurt you and not that you told me. That's what's causing me to cry is that somebody hurt you. Um, And another thing that I kind of learned that's been different from the training I got from 10 years ago would have been to try to eliminate terms like survivor, victim, perpetrator, or abuser, and try to go with more neutral languages like the person who was sexually assaulted or the person who chose to sexually assault because there's less um, leading and prying and judgment to it. But I guess the most important thing to, to take away is to always let them lead. So, you know, words or, or phrases like, I believe you, it's not your fault. Um, the other person made the choice to hurt you. Your feelings are normal. Your needs are important. And I will do everything I can to support you. You know, that was my main takeaways from, from that. And that I'd like that to be everybody's mantra, just like it is like when you have first aid training and, and you know the certain techniques that you're supposed to use. Those are the techniques I would like to see people use when talking to people who are disclosing some, such a vulnerable moment in their life. Um, you know, just try to present choices without bias, whether they choose to report to police, um, not to p- report to police or even report within a year. You know, try to give back that power to somebody who lost so much power in that moment. Um, yeah, and then we went over some of the, you know, available resources in the city like paces and the calgary police service and there's um you know a man enough program and i talked about the moose hide ceremony that uh, we had done for a while and then they gave us contacts and i think there was more to it but you know sometimes i think you have a group full of people and they have their i don't know points or questions or stories to share and you know three hours went by really really quick so so yeah and when i came home I went over it with my daughter because, you know, I think if anyone in the family is most likely to get a sexual assault disclosure in the future, unfortunately, it'll be my daughter. Unfortunately, my daughter's becoming a teenager, and I think that every everyone should be armed with this, boys included. I think, um, you know, we really underestimate that. And we talked a little bit about, uh, there's a TV show called 13 Reasons Why, that talked about uh, suicide and, you know, the community's response to that suicide. And, uh, well, it's it's also its own drama, so it has its own um, storyline and such that is probably quite ridiculous to a lot of people. But regardless, we talked about consent and, you know, there's a character that plays Reggie in Riverdale and he also played in this one. And, you know, he always um, used consent and, and such. And I think that was the big takeaway that we talked about is, consent um even during you know a yes right now doesn't mean a yes right later and and just to always be checking in and and such with your partner so those were some good takeaways uh talk with my daughter and then i i went over it with my husband so that you know unfortunately he may be end up in a position where somebody discloses to him as well and how to handle that and I'm hoping, you know, that short little training was maybe something that'll lock away in their heads and that it'll be a go-to later. We'll see. So, yeah, um, you know, it is our responsibility as parents to teach our kids as much as we can about the world. And, you know, for me, teaching my daughter how to, you know, defend herself. Uh, we have her in martial arts and try to arm her with as much education as we can. That's all we can do. I think we're all 
all in that same boat together as parents, aren't we? So yeah, that's um, a little bit how that went. I found out after we had uh, launched that on July 23rd, the day we launched, was actually Cindy Gladue's birthday. And for those who do not know Cindy Gladue, she uh, was an uh, Indigenous woman up in Edmonton that was killed from uh, from sex, actually. <laughs> and the and, and it's a horrible story. And, um, you know, it, I really encourage people to look into it if you're interested in finding out more and just supporting the, the community and the family and the sex work community because um, no one consents to being killed. Um, another thing that I'm, I'm actually quite excited about, uh, you know, talking about the sexual assault disclosure information and such is um, actually a, a colleague of mine that I'm, I'm quite happy to get to know. His name is uh, Dr. Dustin Louie. He is an assistant prof at uh, the University of Calgary. He recently put out a paper, and it's called uh, The Sexual Exploitation Prevention Education for Indigenous Girls. And um, you know, his uh, master's thesis and his doc- doctoral thesis, it was all in relation to violence against Indigenous girls and him being Indigenous as well, talking from uh, his point of view from his community being surrounded by all these federal prisons, um, the differences in, uh, you know, challenges and barriers that his, his town and his res face being in such close proximity to, uh, federal prisons. So, uh, his, his information, it's really empowering. And I, I would really love to see a lot of the work that he discussed be implemented actually. So I'm just going to put this out there. If you know, of any res anywhere across Canada that really has, uh, you know, prevention strategy to empower uh, and educate uh, Indigenous girls. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have you on your sh- on the show. I've talked to talked to Dust- Dr. Dustin Louie about coming on my show, and um, I want to uh, definitely have guests like him talking about you know, things that we can do now, things that we can implement now. And um, this particular podcast, it's not funded by government. It's not funded by anybody because if you depend on government money, then this this podcast could be eliminated within a second. If it's dependent on somebody else's board, it could be eliminated in a moment. So that's why, you know, I wanted this podcast to be free and clear of anybody and, and just be just be my work because I just think it's really important if we're we're serious about you know next steps as indigenous people that we have a medium that's completely free of uh, you know somebody else's funding and somebody else's influence so that we can speak way more freely so that's a little bit about uh, what's been going on since we first uh, launched I'm super excited to see uh, some new donors with Sharon Diana and Judy I encourage people to email me at uh, nativeyyc at gmail.com with any comments or questions that you might have. And um, I'm just waiting for my friend from Cambridge Bay, my um, uh, friend from Nunavut that's coming in to stay with us for a week. So I'm hoping to have him on the show and and talk a little bit about uh, wonderful things that are in Treaty 7 that we can go visit here in the next few days. So with that, I want to thank my husband, Darcy for helping me with this podcast and launching this podcast. And I guess we'll talk next week. Thank you so much for listening. 
nativeyyc at gmail.com and patron account. Thank you. This is Native Calgarian.